you've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 8, but, but, it's the power of love, uh, in, which, in which Sandy Cohen f- just fucks up royally right out the gate, first second of the episode. I, I forgot that he is, I forgot that him forgetting was not a bit. Yeah. I, I mean, I obviously didn't forget that because it was my first time watching, but I was very confident it was a bit until like three minutes into the episode. And I was like, damn, dog, you fucked up when you're 20 at that. Like, like, how do you remember? How do you remember the date of your wedding and not be able to do the quick math to determine if it's 19 yeah. or 20 years? <laughs> like, At the very least, you should be able to know when you had your son. Yeah. And- like, I mean, maybe that's too much information, right? When you had your son, subtract his age. <laughs> you should have been able to know that. Get a but, rough, like, the the roughest of ballpark guesses here. Yeah. This whole episode, for the most part, is, and I mean, look, no fucking complaints from Matt Kelly, who has been very vocal that the adult drama is probably the drama he gets sucked into the most. But this is absolutely 1,000% the parents are the A story that you're following throughout oh, this absolutely. episode. <laughs> Which I think also means that, Joe, you hated this episode, didn't you? I actually didn't mind it. Okay. Because the parent stuff was kooky enough. Yes. It is kooky. Kooky is a great word to describe what they're doing with the parents in this episode. It was just like, oh God, the promise of the premise, right? The promise of the premise of this episode is that we're going to get like Sandy Cohen singing, like living his back to the future fantasy and singing the power of love, right? Yeah. We did not get that. 
No, um, actually, I'm going to jump all the way to the last note that I wrote. <laughs> um, spoiler alert for people who are like me. I, I don't know who's listening to the show who hasn't watched the episodes. But uh, my last note that I wrote was, man, I was really expecting Sandy Cohen singing to make me wet, but I'm bone dry over here. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it it's a there's a lot of promise. What's frustrating is also that it's like even for me, Matt Kelly, first time viewer, I very quickly put together the puzzle pieces of like what is supposed to be the big surprise party. Like, yeah, the second that Seth is talking to Alex and is like, I think we can do something that will make them like you, and then like. Sandy shows up with two jacked security guards who mysteriously lose the kids. I was like, oh, they're going to be at the they're no, going to be not, at the venue. Not like, security guards, like sworn police officers. Police officers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like as soon as they showed up to dinner, it was like they escaped. I was like, no, they didn't. This is a plan. They're all going to the bait shop. Like I'm sure that there is someone who watched this and didn't see that coming and was like very charmed and been like oh my god that's so sweet they got me they totally tricked me with I'm this sure twist they did, yeah but not not matt kelly the today anyway i was i was on top of the game today watching <laughs> watching the oc one note that i have written down that is definitely worth discussing i like that i watch this episode next week's episode back to back because this becomes a a very they're good with the continuity between these two episodes Ryan should be way better at lying than he is. And uh, yeah. I love that that is that that also just continues right into next week's episode as well. But like, Jesus, Ryan is is truly awful at this um, as he's yeah. being interrogated by the Coens in the kitchen. But it's also like he gives up information immediately as well where he's just like he went to school early it's like mm, well that was not the best cover story and now there's going to be more cover questions yeah. <laughs> oh boy but we get to the school we meet zach again zach says a sentence so here's something i can categorically point out as inaccurate zach shows up and goes hey man did you need read the new weed and x-men now, at the time this episode came out, I was going to a comic book shop pretty much every single day. I can categorically tell you that nobody said that. They would say, <laughs> hey, man, did you read X-Men this week? <laughs> like, no one's, like, calling out the name of the writer of that particular book. Like, it, no, are you reading the X-Men? <laughs> like, this just felt like a, like a, hey, we need to make sure people know that we're on top of who's writing comics right now. So let's throw yeah. Whedon's X-Men in there. Whedon, like Joss Whedon? Yeah, Joss Whedon wrote some some comics, I guess, in between uh, being a total piece of shit, but treating himself like the world's greatest feminist in the uh, early 2000s. Joss Whedon did find time to write some X-Men comics. Wow. I do love that. Basically, what we're having here, uh, we're, we're kind of jumbling around a little bit. What ultimately happens is that Seth has been sneaking out at night to hang out with Alex. To have sex with her. Does she, though? Because I feel like it's implied. I can't figure out if he does or does not. Because like it's implied <clears throat> in scenes that he does. But then doesn't he also make a comment about like um, when, when Sandy shows up, 
he says something along the lines of, well, now that's never going to happen because my like, like I couldn't figure out if they were actually for sure fucking or if they were just like doing everything but and spending the night together. No, because he almost makes like a slight cock blocky comment about Sandy stopping by the bait shop. No, I I think they're fucking. All right, I mean it's not clear. It is. I think ambiguity is there, but like upon this rewatch, I immediately was like, oh, I guess they are fucking. Yeah, I mean, it feels that way based on the opening telephone conversation for sure. Um, But I also wouldn't put it past Seth Cohen. To want people to think that he's fucking when he ain't either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Keep him guessing. Yeah, exactly. You know, Seth gets in trouble for sneaking out. Ryan gets in trouble for attempting and very poorly attempting to cover for his buddy. And his threat, uh, Sandy Cohen's threat under punishment is, listen, I have a wonderful 20-year anniversary weekend planned and because you guys keep fucking up, I might have to get you a babysitter, which means that you might have to spend the weekend with Julie Cooper <laughs> unless you figure your shit out. And like, I personally feel like that would have worked for me, but here comes bad boy Seth Cohen, who's still like, I'm going to sneak out the window and fuck yep. Alex again. Because like, you're not sneaking out like that to not go fuck. That is true. You're not just doing that for a quick makeout session. You're right. Um, yeah, this isn't like you know, this isn't Heartstopper. Like you're you're going to fuck. You're going to fuck. Speaking of wanting to jump out a window, as Seth Cohen <laughs> does, uh, every single line of dialogue that Marissa Cooper delivers in this episode straight up makes me want to jump out the window. She is a fucking terror. This episode and like. All right, let's let's just let's just talk about it. So the DJ by the end of this episode, Marissa and DJ are no more, right? And presumably, Mar- yes. Presumably, yes. Uh, and Marissa is going to treat this like it's Julie Cooper's fault, and it's like, listen here, girl, you used your boyfriend as a pawn in your fucked up chess game with your mom, without consulting your boyfriend. So DJ shows up to a family picture that he thinks he's invited to and then storms off reasonably pissed off about the circumstances. it's not the first time she did this, because remember, she no. did it at the Snow Sea. Yeah. Like, it's like she is fucking this dude over constantly like an asshole. Um, and then I wrote this line. Julie Cooper's offering 5K to DJ to just not date marissa this is a a check that i would almost definitely cash not for any girl just specifically for marissa cooper because she is truly awful she's not doing herself any favors and again this is the one i remember telling you in the beginning of our journey that i at in my covid rewatch of the oc i realized that julie cooper is not as much of an enemy as I thought she was that I felt like she was, I felt that to her, her actions were reasonable enough. So do you believe her that this was a test of, of who, like who uh, DJ was as a person? I honestly do because if, because trust me, there's things coming up where like, if Julie really wanted to keep a secret, she would. Okay. And I think that it was a test. I also think that like, she thinks that she's doing what she needs to do 
to keep her daughter safe. Same, like, there's no, like, I go back to the, like, I'm going to send you to San Diego to live in a mental institution in season one, where it's just like, she's not, like, it's not Meredith from Parent Trap, where she's like, we're going to send them off to boarding school. There's no ulterior motive that we're privy to. So she, like, is really trying. Because, again, like, from her perspective, her husband is, like, disgraced and her reputation is hanging by a thread. She's been made the CEO of the Newport Group. Yeah. And her youngest daughter seemingly just doesn't exist anymore. No, she's definitely at boarding school, I think. (laughs) I think Caitlin is definitely at boarding school. They gave us that line of dialogue, but you know what you sometimes do when your child's at boarding school? Check in on them. Yeah. That's all off camera. Everything everything not on the camera Dude, is... Let, is so this is a bit of a spoiler for next week. But the fact that by episode eight, we're just being told that Zach and Summer have been together for six months. Yeah. Like, um, they are speeding through time and space. So, yes, maybe they've been hanging out with her on the off camera times because... The world the world of the OC is a super complicated world, I've realized, because it exists in this bizarre timescape where we are supposed to both believe that like episodes take place mere days after the previous episode in continuity while simultaneously months are going by yeah. <laughs> in those days. It it's not a it's not a perfect balance of like timeline at all throughout this show. Well, I mean, like if you think about it, they had Christmas and then skipped forward in time. Yeah. So like the like the gap between the Christmaca episode to that after Christmaca first post Christmaca episode could easily count for at least two to three months. Especially on and the, and the other thing too that like blows my mind as you were saying they're eight episodes in is the fact that like this is still a twenty something episode season. Yeah. Well, but here's the other thing to think about. Okay, so I agree with you to a certain extent, right? But let's talk about the Lindsay of it all in that case because the Christmaca episode is really where like you know the fucking Lindsay stuff comes mm-hmm. comes mm-hmm. up, and then we get this whole family ties episode. That's right before this one. And by this episode, like it is our assumption that that Kirsten and Lindsay are just starting to become friends from that previous episode. Like they do not seem like they are a well-established gal pal sister thing yet. Like this feels very new to them. But also Ryan hasn't told any has not informed Kirsten that they're dating. So. Again, that either makes sense if it's been a week mm-hmm. since the last episode or is fucking psychotic if it's been months. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there's no like happy middle in that situation. And we do have to talk about this because I think that everybody in this circum in this situation is really taking the words son and mother and sister too goddamn literally. Like, Ryan has zero relation, no connection whatsoever to Kirsten or Lindsay in any in any actual familial way. 
nor does honestly like yes is kirsten her half is kirsten Lindsay's half sister for sure there yeah. is a 20 something year age gap there like like we we yeah. barely batted a fucking eye when he was hooking up with the aunt <laughs> but like this is supposed to be the fucking deal breaker of the goddamn century yeah. in this world it's just it's it's all it's all sloppy. And her her actual legitimate sister was fucking her ex-boyfriend up until yeah. very recently. <laughs> like, yeah. And it doesn't but it change wasn't her anything. Son. Sorry. And it doesn't change anything if Ryan was still dating Marissa. No well It would still be a stepsister. No, no, because it would be a stepsister, but there's no blood relation. There's no blood relation, but she has no fucking blood relation with Ryan. So why does it matter? I don't know, I, Matt. I think it's just <laughs> yucky. It's just yucky. It is yucky, but I also flip side reverse it. While I think Kirsten's being ridiculous about this, I also think that Lindsay's kind of a jerk to Ryan yeah. over the way Ryan chooses to do things, like. I actually wrote down, and it's so funny because I wrote this down before I watched next week's episode. I said, Lindsay's being such a jerk to Ryan over this, too. Has she been hanging out with Marissa or something? Um, so there's that. And then I just gently want to touch on the only thing that I wrote in all caps. Do tell. The fucking meeting between Summer and Zach's family. Oh. Like, what the fuck? Is this family that is sitting at a fancy restaurant having a in-detailed conversation about the cashmere situation and just like try like it made me think of um it made me think of the Simpsons uh in that episode where there's finally a student that's smarter than Lisa and she like goes to the family's house and they're playing like a stupid word association game and because she's not immediately good at the same game that she just that this family's been playing for years that she just happened to wander into they're like hey here's here's a ball you can bounce that against the wall if you want uh to pass the time like it's just like this is an insane conversation to just throw at a 16 year old girl and expect her to have an opinion on i think putting into context the age in high school right but at at, at the same time you got to figure i don't know why i'm justifying this show at the same time you got to figure <laughs> that like Zach is an exceptionally bright person as well. So the family is just kind of being who they are. Like, that's the other thing, too, is that I never got for a second that they were, like, talking down to her because they thought she was dumb. I think no, that... No, no, I understand her, but I also yeah. am, like... I guess I, I, I've I, realized this about myself, which is that I empathize with literally every character in every single show to a certain extent, or at least I put myself in their shoes. Sure, sure. And I'm just, like... Summer, just like, and just say nothing. Yeah, <laughs> like, like there's, it's the same thing with the 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 reverse when like Seth met her dad, and it's like just say less. <laughs> like, and I love that parallel too. I love oh, that, that she like, calls that out. Yeah, that she's like it was way worse than when Cohen met my parents. Yeah, but like, I don't, and I don't remember this because I watched these episodes a while back. But do we get like an acknowledgement? or an apology from her about that because it, because that's the other thing is that like, Oh, she 
she puts so much into what her dad thinks and like how everything yeah. happened with her dad that it kind of fucked up her thinking about her and Seth. And then I don't. Put I mean, in they the situation. They might still. Um, the only thing I distinctly remember is her explaining the meeting to Marissa and being like, "It was ten times worse than when Cohen met my parents." Yeah. Um, there may have been a chance. There was a lot happening at the very end when uh, when Daddy Cohen is singing on stage, so it's possible she True. may have apologized in that moment, and I'm just forgetting. Um, Possibly. But, yeah, all in all, it's a fine episode. Not the best, not the worst, but hey, it was there. Yeah, it was, it was there. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Hello everyone, we're Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books, think again. We got romance, we got action, romance. we got comedy, we got everything you need, man. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know for all your superhero needs. Uh, ro- I, I don't know about this romance, what part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches, and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know! <laughs> Alright, so come on down to su- wait, why did I say come on down? To Superhero Stuff You Should Know. So let's talk about the songs in this episode. Uh, kind of a shorter list, honestly, if you exclude Sandy Cohen singing some tunes. But uh, we kick it off as Sandy forgets the anniversary. In the background, we hear Solomon Burke singing Don't Give Up On Me, which he will later sing in the episode. Uh, when they're all hanging out in the cafe in the morning, uh, talking about whatever. Um, Baby You Should Know by the Joy Zipper plays. Uh, when... <laughs> When Kirsten unfortunately walks in on Ryan making out with Lindsay, uh, Open Arms by Journey is playing. And then lastly, we hear uh, New Hampshire by Matt Pond, PA, an artist who I completely forgot existed, uh, plays twice. Um, And this is pretty much any time that there's something happening romantically where characters are discussing giving each other space or um, breaking up. Or what have you. Uh, so the question is this, Joe. What is the song of the episode? And why is it open arms and a shirtless Ryan laying on top of uh, Lindsay? That's a good song. Um, 
I thought it was obvious to me, though, that the song is with the song that Sandy sings. Yep. Don't give up on me. Yeah. Uh, he sings that and he sings She's No Lady, She's My Wife are the two yeah. songs that Sandy sings up on stage. I mean, Don't Give Up On Me is absolutely the song of the episode, but I did want to write down Open Arms anyway because, man, it's a ballad. It, it might be, no, I'll say it's the second best uh, journey ballad behind Faithfully. Uh, slept on ballad by Prince. Uh, I keep saying Prince. Man, Prince, if Prince was alive and he heard me confusing Prince and Journey, he would hate he you. Would, the purple one would be infuriated. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's don't give up on me. Um, I think I would probably actually lean to the real version over the Sandy Cohen version if I, True. If I had to choose. Correct. Uh, but but it's a sweet, it is a sweet gesture all the same. Uh, he really tries his best. I'm more upset that we didn't get to hear him sing Grease Lightning. Yeah. Well, I completely forgot about it until he started singing that... Um, Peter Gallagher has been in many Broadway shows. I mean, I, I knew that he was in a lot of Broadway shows. I still think he's kind of, uh, I don't say he's a bad singer. He's a, he's a perfectly fine singer. But I think that he's a pretty mediocre in the grand scheme of people who've sang on Broadway. Like, yeah. there there are actors who go on Broadway and then you're like, Jesus, I had no clue that they could sing like that. I don't think Peter Gallagher is one of those people. Um, <laughs> But he can say he can carry okay, a tune. He can hit the notes. He he has passion. He has, you know, stage presence. All of that stuff. But yeah, yeah. He's not. He's a he's a star. He's not. An actor. But it's not like when you hear like Hugh Jackman sing for the first time, and you're like, Wolverine can sound like that. God damn! Like <laughs> this is the great issue, man. I literally was just listening to that soundtrack today. <laughs> Oh my god! That song that he does with Zac Efron in the bar, fucking perfect. What a great song! Um, oh my god, that is a good song. It's a really good. Don't I just have this do, thing. Do I get away from this town? Gabe used to play. <laughs> uh, see, the thing is that I have a thing about Pasek and Paul, who wrote the music for that. Is that they all of the their music, songs for every movie? They, and show. Well, all of their songs are about like, you know rewriting something they want to yeah. rewrite the stars rewrite the story you know like it all kind of sounds the same they um they are <sighs> them and lin-manuel miranda are both falling into this similar category where i like most of the stuff that they do yeah but it's you listen getting to scuttlebutt and but it, I was going to say, but it's getting exhausting that I can immediately pinpoint when it's something that they've written at this point. Like, yeah. I watched the pilot episode for Up There or Up Here Blindly, the like musical sitcom yeah. that's on Hulu. And within the first song, I was like, I bet this is written from the people who did Greatest Showman and fucking Dear Evan Hansen. It just feels like it. And then I looked it up and I was like, yep. <laughs> like, if, like, it's just like they fall. The same thing with Lin Manuel. Like, you know, I know he look, you can tell me that he did not write the songs in Mary Poppins Returns, and I will believe you, except there ain't no fucking way that anybody but Lin Manuel Miranda wrote the fucking rap part in the cover is not a book. Like yeah. like that is such a note by note what I've come to know is a Lin Manuel yeah. Miranda song. I 
going completely blind into Encanto, just showing up at a friend's house when they were watching it. By the second song, I was like, did Lin-Manuel write these? Like, yeah. <laughs> like you just, he's got a thing. And then, yeah, Scuttlebutt. Madrigal, like. <laughs> yeah. Look, I am not the hater of Scuttlebutt that other people are. I think it's completely unnecessary. Yeah. I don't think it deserves to be there. But, like, if that was just, like, a bo- a secret bonus track that was on the soundtrack, I'd be like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> like, I just don't think the movie been. needed it. should it. not have been its own thing. No, 1,000%. That's where I landed on it. But speaking of The Little Mermaid, what is something that you would like to talk about that you've maybe watched, <coughs> enjoyed, read, whatever? Um, and also, I just want to do a quick shout-out. Yes, are we going to be talking about things that we've watched and enjoyed? For sure. But I believe I speak for Joe and myself when I say that we stand by the Writers Guild and the Actors Guild and that these studios need to fucking pay up and do their goddamn job. Because as I've said on a recent episode of Horror Movie Night as well, if fucking A24 and Kevin Smith can afford to pay the actors and writers what the SGA and the WGA are asking for, then the studios that have billions of dollars have no fucking excuse yep. to 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 not pay that same amount all right anyway joe what is something you'd like to talk about or promote thank you for saying that matt um i'm gonna talk about a book <laughs> Ooh, damn what book so the book hasn't come out yet but it's being heavily advertised Ooh, there is fancy a boy. um <laughs> social media tiktok personality um her name is mercury stardust um, mm-hmm. And she is uh, her. Her name is Mercury Stardust, the trans handy ma'am. And Mercury is like a professional, like handy person that goes around and you know fixes things. And it, in on TikTok and social media, she often releases videos like saying, "Hey." Have you ever wondered how to fix this thing? Well, let me show you how to do it yourself. And she does it from a very kind and gentle uh, place. And um, her book that's coming out is called Safe and Sound. And it's Mm -hmm. a renter. It's a renter's friendly guide to home repair. So talk specifically about like, you know, most of the folks that she knows, including herself, are renters. And so it's like, how do you repair things yourself? Or how do you find that and the one thing that i love that she always ends her videos especially the ones where she teaching people things is uh and remember you are worth it the you are worth the time it takes to learn a new skill Ooh, i love that and i was like ah oh, yes and so recently um one of her recent videos is how to um how to like address a tub clog and right now I have a I have a very significant tub clog and I bought a couple of the tools that she uses that are like not they're not like pricey, but, you know, you're you should buy like they're decent enough where like you it's not a one and done, but they're good enough quality that like you could use these forever. So like it's just good to have in your arsenal. So I am going to try and attempt to fix this tub clog by myself. I am proud of you, Joe. You go for it. Yeah, because I was just like, you know what? I fucking love all, like, she. she's like, you have one of those, like, slats in your blinds that's, like, broken? Well, let me show you how to fix it <laughs> so that way you can just, like, you know, not have broken slats anymore. And That shit. I love that. I love it. And, and like, the last thing I will say, and this is, I think, is a, one of the really important points, is that 
you know, she comes across a lot of hate comments about not just trans stuff, which is, you know, horrifying, but hate comments about like folks who are just like, you know, why are you like, why don't you buy a home? Like, why are you renting? Like, and you know, the, Ooh, the what idea. a beautiful level of privilege to right, ask right? that question of a human being. And so she didn't go from the privilege aspect of it. She was just like, this is where I live. And regardless of whether or not I own the land or the building, like this is my home. Like yeah. I want to take pride in my home. Like I may not own it on paper, but I've been, I live here and this is where I live and spend my life and my time. And I want to take there there's no reason i can't take pride in that um for the simple fact that it's my home and i was yeah. like oh love it Beautiful. so yes get safe and sound she's on a multi-state bi-coastal tour of the united states until the end of the year she's traveling a lot promoting this book at different indie stores she's gonna be in um she's gonna be in san diego in december matt she's probably she's doing the east coast first so you know you might you might get to see right. her, but good to know. Good to I know. I bought her book and I cannot wait. Uh, well, I think I'm going to also follow up on just reading in general. Uh, you very recently recommended a podcast called Gay's Reading. Yes. To me. Um, I have not, I, I've listened to every episode of Gay's Reading. Mm -hmm. I have purchased two books now based on their recommendations. Have not started reading those books, but what I do want to give a shout out to a book that I have read, uh, our good friend Eric J. Brown's book, Lose You to Find Me, was my reading material for my flight to San Diego Comic-Con. I have to be t fully transparent here. I am the most biased person that yes. could possibly tell you that this book is great because it is it is literally written about the after-school job that Eric and I both worked together at where we became friends. So every little wink, nod, and inside joke to our old job, like, got an extra special giggle and smile from me and put me down a totally different little nostalgic pathway. That being said, this book is flawless. Um, if, if I, and I loved uh, All That's Left in the World, I thought that All That's Left in the World was truly a great book. When I deboarded the plane... I think I sent Eric like 17 text messages just praising every aspect of this book, how how special the characters were, how well written it was, how perfect the act structure was, how like these seemingly meaningless vignette chapters became super crucial towards the end of the book. Like it is just a fantastically put together book. It's it's made me just finally come to terms with the fact that yes, I love young adult novels. I love reading them. There is a comfort to them the same way that there is a comfort in a 90s slasher movie, a teen flick, or a Hallmark Christmas movie. It has a set pattern. It has a very specific character trope, and almost every single one of them hits the same plot beats. And God damn it, if I don't just love the comfort of rereading those same character tropes and plot beats over and over and over again in my life. Yeah. Is it is it romance? Is it gay? Oh, it's a gay romance for sure. It's a gay romance. Okay, you have something to tell me, Matt? About so, high school? No, just <laughs> that I loved, I loved love, and I always have. Um, no, but the, so the very quick, brief summary of the plot line is that it's about two guy. Uh, it's about a guy working at a retirement home in the kitchen. 
Uh, his dream is to be a chef. He wants to go to culinary school like his dad went to. And all of a sudden, he's asked to train the new hire. And he goes and he looks at the new hire, and he instantly recognizes this new hire as the first boy he ever had a crush on when he was at summer camp in elementary school. And that boy doesn't recognize him. And it just sends his whole world into a tailspin as he uh, continues to reignite the love that he had for this person in elementary school while also not knowing how to breach the awkward conversation of we've met before. (laughs) So uh, just a very sweet, well-written story. Uh, Eric is, is a, is a lovely human, a great friend and an even better writer. Uh, So (laughs) check those out. Uh, Something that I can't say uh, contains lovely friends or uh, great writing is the OC, which we will be back next week to discuss more of. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.